Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our Christmas series, and this one is called A Surprising Christmas. A question for you to start today is, can you name an expectation that you've had in life that's been fulfilled or unfulfilled? Enjoy. Uh, it's Christmas time, which means that you've, if you've been to church at all, you will have heard the same sermons a million different times. Uh, and one of the things that happens, I think, when we get into the biblical stories is that when we take them too literally, then we're just trying to talk about some event that happened 2,000 years ago back there. There was a birth, there was a nativity, there was this thing that happened in the past. But if you take the Bible seriously, if you give it some depth, if you give it some layers, if you say, oh, there's way more to how I can interpret, be a part, participate with these scriptures, then you realize, oh, this is not about Jesus just being birthed 2,000 years ago. It's about how Christ is being birthed into each and every one of us each day. This thing is our journey. It's the human journey. It's the thing that we are participating with and that we are a part of. So today we're going to talk about surprise. And we're going to talk about that by looking at expectations. We're going to do a few things before we get there. So we're going to talk about the whole Bible, <laughs> just like from beginning to end. So it will go really quick. And then we're going to talk about construction and deconstruction and reconstruction. And then if we do that, then you got to get to marry the mother of God. Am I right? And then we're going to talk about posture because posture is critical. And then we need to talk about a little bit of alliteration and then some vicious cycles birthing, and a prince. Yeah, I think this makes sense for everybody. Cool, let's do that, great. The whole Bible. Uh, if you were looking at the entire Bible and you were starting in the very beginning and you were working your way to the very end, you would notice that there's this theme that's happening. There's a pattern that's taking place. There is this moment of covenant that takes place and then there's a moment of exile. Why is that? You have a moment of Adam and Eve in a garden. There's a covenant being made with humanity. It's this early narrative within the scriptures that are trying to say, oh, we're special. We are made in the image of God. Humanity has a special part to play on this little blue dot, right, that is in this solar system. We have a part to play in the larger narrative that God is doing in the universe. But then in the story of covenant, there is this moment of, do you want this tree or do you want that tree? And we choose the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Which is a way of saying humanity often chooses exile. Humanity often makes the tougher choice. Apparently that's just what we do as human beings. Then you work your way through the Bible a little bit further and you get to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and a new covenant is made with a family, with a particular group, with a particular tribe. And then in even their stories, right, Abraham goes to Egypt. Later on, Joseph will move to Egypt. There's covenant that's made. There's promise that's fulfilled. And then eventually there's this moment of transition and change. It's like whenever you're getting too comfortable as a human being, God is saying, 
oh, transition and change are normal parts of the story. And maybe one of the gifts of being human is that we do evolve. But how often do we love evolution in the world of church, right? It's like the place that's the most stagnant, and yet we have a scripture that is filled with evolution and movement forward. The world is bustling ahead of us at 10,000 miles an hour, and sometimes we're still arguing like, can women really speak in the church? What? <laughs> You're talking about what? It's like 2017. Like, breathe a little bit here, you know? The thing was meant to move forward. Then you get to the Exodus story, right? God uh, redeems and frees people. We just spent like a million weeks there. So if you weren't here, enjoy the New Abbey podcast. Shameful plug. I'll take it every time. And then after the Exodus story, there's a moment of exile again, right? There's always this moment of covenant and then difficult times. There's a moment of covenant, and then they're in the wilderness for 40 years. They finally get the land, and then eventually the kings are messing some things up. Men, am I right? And then what happens is we go into exile again. And their narrative just keeps continuing this way. But what's interesting is every time it happens, the thing's getting bigger. You've seen us do this here in New Abbey before, this little diagram. It's a story about how the thing's moving forward. You're kind of here, and then you need to cycle a little bit, grow and transition, and then you move forward to the next thing. Things become problematic when we're just staying in the same circles. That's where the Bible is provocative and revolutionary and new. It's not telling ancient stories about the gods where the place you were born in life is the place that you need to die in life, right? This is why slaves become free. This is why in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jews nor Greeks, masters nor slaves, because the thing is supposed to move forward. The thing is supposed to grow. Why? Because that's the best humanity for you. That's the most interesting thing for you. And God somehow enjoys and is pleased with the process. So you could say that each of these little movements is a movement forward in the narrative of scripture. Even you have Jesus, right? Who is offering this new covenant and then Jesus leaves. You have the early church who like they're getting their thing going. And then you have Saul of Tarsus come along and he persecutes the early church. But what does it force them to do? Evolve, grow, change. None of us pick change and transition and transformation very easily on our own. We are forced into it. That's what evolution is all about. It's forcing the very best out of you. So we sit around sometimes and we don't love right, the waiting. We don't love the anticipation. The expectations of life are sometimes really difficult because this is the thing that I've always wanted and it's not being fulfilled in my life and we get angry, and we get bitter, and we get frustrated. But that's a part of the narrative. The narrative is about us digging into the pain, digging into the hurt, digging into the waiting, digging into the anticipation, and it's there in the transition that the gold is, right? And that's the place that we move forward. So if you were to look at this a little bit deeper, it would kind of look like this. This is construction over here. This is kind of your deconstruction process, and this is your reconstruction process. Let's put that in a little bit more concrete terms. This is the God that I was told about when I was a kid. This is how things work. Everything in this book is 100% exactly true. What about the Neanderthals? Well, what you see is in the flood, the dinosaurs just couldn't fit on the ark. I don't know, anyways, I'm just saying. <laughs> then you start asking some questions, and you realize, oh, the story is bigger than that. There's still some people over here who want to put dinosaurs on the ark. You just know better now. That's okay. 
And so sometimes what we do, though, is we're like, man, they've been lying to me. The whole thing's a fraud. And then you go on a little bit in life, and you have some maturity, and you have some growth, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's not all bad. There's some, there's some beautiful truth there. There's some great opportunity for maturity here. And then you move forward into a new phase in life and in faith and in your humanity. And that thing just keeps cycling. And then so what happens is you pick up some of those pieces and some of those bricks that you threw out before, and you say, I'm going to rebuild my foundation in my house with this. And the thing is, you know what's behind you. None of us know what's ahead of us. So that's the narrative of the whole Bible. The Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob part of the story, somewhere over here, had no idea about the David story coming down the road. The thing got bigger, it got more compelling, and every time it got bigger, it got more inclusive, right? We talk about that here a lot, and moved from an individual to a family, to a clan, to a people, to a kingdom, and eventually for the entire world. The thing just kept opening up as the covenant exile rotation kept happening. And that is not stories that happened thousands of years ago. That's an invitation for us to say, is it opening up? Is it getting bigger? Are you evolving and growing in this way? And then what happens is you reconstruct some new things in your life. And then you know what? A few years down the road, you're going to realize, I'm going to start the process all over again. And we get really worked up about this in our culture because we love equilibrium. And the false myth that we're told is that everything should be up and to the right at all times. But guess what? That's not how most of history has worked for most of humanity. That's how history has worked for a privileged few in like the last hundred years. And when it doesn't work our way, the Charles Schwab commercials get very uptight, right? (laughs) That's the whole point, that, that the growth, the anticipation, the waiting, it not always being up and to the right, but living in the deconstruction is actually the best part of your humanity. I say this for couples all the time, right, when they're in premarital, like enjoy your bachelor, bachelorette season right now, where like everything is like, and then we're on a helicopter on a mountain and flying to Hawaii and having dinner, I'm so in love, right? If that's still going on 10 years later, like that sounds horrible. Like the best part of marriage now is like, Trader Joe's, my friends. (laughs) A Friday night where it's just us, our kids are in bed and we are watching Netflix and we're like, yes, this is good. Right? Because you grow. The, thing, the mundane becomes the really beautiful and the wonderful. So we need this entire framework if we're going to move forward in our understanding of what's actually happening in the nativity stories and in the Christmas story. So then eventually you get to the stories of Christmas. And again, the Christmas stories are only three chapters in the Bible. It's Matthew 2 and Luke 1 and 2. And the Matthew stories, they're all about change for the Jewish people. That's why Matthew is the first gospel, because the early church was all Jewish at that point, and they're trying to re-understand this framework that Jesus is moving from just a good rabbi to somehow the Son of God, right, to the incarnate one. And they need to understand a world in which everything that they've understood about Judaism is going to be destroyed. And so change is going to be forced at their hand, especially in 70 AD when Pompeii comes in and destroys the entire um, priesthood in Israel. And then you have Luke that comes along, and it's a much more universal gospel. And it's much bigger. It talks about women all the time. It talks about the oppressed. It talks about all the people who didn't have a voice 2,000 years ago, and we're still working hard to reclaim those voices today. Come on, right? And it's trying to open up the story a little bit more, and it's giving us more to the nativity stories because it's saying, Luke is always saying to you, I want you to get on the road with me. So he gives us the most in the nativity story about what could be birthed in you, not just a Jesus 2,000 years ago, but how Christ can be birthed within you now, 
right? We talked about this last week, that Luke also gives you the only adolescent stories of Jesus. Why? Because we're really interested in what 13-year-old Jesus does? No, because it's in your adolescence, it's in your periods of change and growth that you learn a lot as well, right? And then the rest of Luke is inviting you on this story, and it always uses this phrase, on the road, moving towards Jerusalem. It's always inviting you to a new period of deconstruction and a new period of reconstruction. So the Christmas stories in Luke are all about expectation. It's all about waiting so that something can be birthed in you and then it can grow in you over time. That's what's interesting about these gospel stories. And there's expectation for the entire people of Israel. In Matthew, the expectation is all around this King Herod story. King Herod is really uptight because a Messiah, a Lord, a King is being born into the world and King Herod is supposed to be the King of Israel. In the Luke story, Jesus is constantly compared to Caesar Augustus, right? If you weren't here last week, then you need to know a couple phrases. Son of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, High Priest, Savior. All of those terms were not terms for Jesus. They were terms for Caesar Augustus used 70 years before Jesus was ever born. And you wouldn't know that living 2,000 years later because that's not the rhetoric of our time. But when you read the Gospels back in the day, you would say, oh, a different son of God is being born into the world. Oh, a different king of kings is being born into the world. Oh, a different gospel is being proclaimed because Caesar Augustus was always proclaiming his gospel and his gospel was all about power. And Jesus's gospel is all, all about becoming powerless. And those are two very different narratives. So by the time you get to Mary, there has been thousands of years of a people growing and evolving but having expectations for who this coming king will be. They can't see forward any better than we can. So when Jesus is coming, even Mary is telling herself things, oh, he's gonna be the savior of Israel. Even the mother of God couldn't look into the future. None of us can, and that should be reassuring. But there's an invitation for us when we get to the story of Mary. When you're living in expectations in your life, are those expectations gonna lead you down the road to resentment, or are they gonna lead you down a road to surprise? We get to choose that. We have a part to play in that story. And sometimes when we choose resentment, then what happens in us is things like resistance and revenge happen. Sometimes resentment looks like a pity party. Sometimes it looks like victimization. Sometimes it looks like the whole world is against you. Why aren't things going my way? This is how I saw my life. These are the expectations I had for my people. Right, we can see this in an individual way, and we can see this in a systemic way. Slight note on the systemic way, the thing that I would never advocate for here is that sometimes there are, there are, not sometimes, there are human beings who are oppressed in systems right now. They do not find themselves in the powerful position, and so I would never use victimization or self-pity in that language. Um, that's something that is real, and there are real powers in this world, and we always need to say that. But there are places in our lives where we do have expectations that we do become victims and we do choose self-pity instead of choosing another road and moving forward. The self-pity world, it just becomes a vicious cycle, right? It just becomes this circle that we're constantly on and more resentment just leads to more resentment. Uh, resistance in our culture often looks like this, avoidance. Uh, we have expectations in our life and things aren't going our way. Let me just mention a few things and maybe it applies to you, maybe it doesn't. Things aren't going my way, I'm drinking a little too much. I'm eating a little too much. I'm shopping a little too much. I mean, I only binged the whole um, season of Stranger Things 2 in two days. That's not that much, right? 
No, 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 no. That's probably too little. You could have done the whole thing in one night. You just weren't committed. Um, we have all kinds of ways in which we can have resistance in ourselves, right? In which we choose a path of resentment because instead of working towards the thing that we want surprise in, we become just buckled down and embroiled in the thing that's not going our way. Or even revenge. Revenge is the way we're not being passive aggressive in the things we're resentful for. We're being extremely aggressive. Have you ever met those people? They're extremely aggressive about the resentments that are happening in their life, right? And they're constantly on the attack. They're constantly hurting other people because of the hurt that they have going on. This is just called what it means to be human. And then on the other side of things, there's an opportunity for a cycle of surprise and surrender and serenity. And that's what we're going to look at as we look at the Mary story really quickly, is that Mary doesn't choose resentment. Mary chooses surprise. She chooses to say, I don't have all this figured out. Again, we're going to talk about this in the story. God comes to you and says, you're pregnant with the Holy Spirit. That's not normal, just so you know. Okay? There might be a little bit of fear in you there. And the, you might have some expectations about what that actually means and what that actually looks like. But the story of uh, Mary is an, an invitation into the narrative of surprise. What if this thing can be birthed in me? Imagine what, how this thing could grow and how it could become in the world, right? And the only way that we allow surprise to kind of grow in us is when we begin to surrender. Uh, and as we begin to surrender, we begin to find, oh, there's peace. There's tranquility. The less that I hold tightly to this thing, the more that I open myself up, oh, we have things like serenity. And so I think there's two narratives, two frames that set us up. One is over here is when we're trying to be powerful. When we're being powerful, I think it leads always to a story of resentment. There's a reason that in all of the gospel stories, who are the people that are most afraid of Jesus' birth? Caesars and kings and the powerful. And it's the powerless that are most open to surprise and intrigue, and what's next. It's the shepherds. It's a 13-year-old girl who just told that the Holy Spirit impregnated her. That's fascinating, right? It's a father who thinks everyone's going to mock me because I didn't get her pregnant. It's the magi. It's always the least expected. This is the narrative we're invited into. And with a little bit of that context, Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. By the way, what do you think he's going like, to say after this? Like, you hear this, what are you expecting? Not what's coming, by the way. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Surprise! And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Again, language is being used for Caesar here that Jesus is, being, is reclaiming. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? Very important question. Uh, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. When Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, uh, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Israel is primed with expectations right now. They have gone from one part of their narrative to the next where they're being dominated by superpowers. Things are not going their way. 
I heard it said well the other day, if you had to rename the Bible, what would you call it? And they said, I would call it Israel. Israel just means to struggle or to wrestle. The whole thing is wrestling. That's probably like a way more helpful way to read the Bible, right? Versus like what I was told when I was a 13-year-old. Basic instructions before leaving earth. I don't know why I always go to the southern accent when I do these things. <laughs> I forgive anybody that I am offending here. Um, I forgive anybody? Maybe can you forgive me for offending you? I forgive you for me being offensive. Yes, that makes sense. <clears throat> so instead of it being this like stagnant concrete thing that never changes and it's just about an elevator ride that's out of here when we die, it's actually all about the wrestling and the change and the expectations and the wondering and that's what's exciting about being human. Man, that's a way better story. I wish I was told more of that, right? But I had to be constructive with some things and I had to let some things go. And I'm gonna jet my, own, my kids up in their own special ways. So they're gonna have to deconstruct some things as well. That's just a part of it. So we can sit around and be resentful about that. We can resist that, we can have revenge, we can get angry, we can avoid, right? We can get cynical. Anyone over here ever been there? Cynical towards the church and God and your family? We got some amens as a hand though. Great, I appreciate that, yeah. Um, anyone ever get critical? where we spend all of our time in the deconstruction, we know how awful and dumb and stupid and immature and Neanderthals that they are over there, but we are highly evolved and can think and our consciousness is so expanded and yet we are just as hateful as the hateful people that we have left. But I think in the world of surprise, you can own and see what's come behind you. You can surrender that, okay, we're talking about this thing in a different way, we're moving forward a different way, and I can let these things go with a different kind of peace. And the story of Mary and Joseph and the whole story of Jesus is that, that's an invitation to that path. There's resistance every step of the way for Jesus, which means what? There's resistance in our life, that's okay, that's normal, that's a part of what it means to wrestle and to grow. And you can choose to continue to be frustrated with that and fight fire with fire, or you can choose to be open to surprise. I love that at the end of the Gospel of John, the very last Gospel, right, there's this line, the very last verse that says, all of these miracles that Jesus did were amazing, and these are just a few of the stories. If we were to write down all of the stories, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world to hold them. It's like a great way of the Gospels ending with, the surprise got so much bigger than any of us could have ever imagined. Down there, when we're like a virgins getting pregnant with a baby and we're supposed to be excited about this and God's like, yes, you're like, okay. <laughs> but then you allow Jesus to be birthed into the world and you see that every step of the way what Jesus is doing is opening us up to a bigger and better kinds of surprises. Surprises like, oh, the woman who's caught in adultery, oh, she's welcome into my kingdom as well. Oh, the Gentile who you're not supposed to talk to? Oh, no, 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 that's the kind of world that I have as well. Jesus is always surprising us by not hanging out with the holy people, but hanging out with the sinners. Jesus is always surprising us by crossing boundaries and becoming more inclusive. And whenever anyone says, you don't go into that home, he says, God always shows up in the most God-forsaken places. And Jesus says, if you can stop looking at these stories about something that happened back here, but look at this as a way of how you can live your life, I promise you're gonna be more free. I promise you're gonna have more serenity, right? I promise you're gonna live life to the fullest, are Jesus' words. That's an interesting way to live life versus a way that's just filled with resentments and holding on and holding tight. And so the surprise of the Christmas story is what is being birthed in you this year? What is God birthing in you right now? And will you allow that thing to surprise you? Because you have no idea where that thing's gonna grow into and become. 
And how exciting is that? How exciting is that God is birthing something new in each and every one of us, that God is trying to surprise us, that God has something that we cannot foresee in the future, but would we choose a path of surprise and surrender and serenity, or are we going to hold on tight to the things that God's doing within us that we want none of and move towards a path of resentment and resistance and revenge? We have a choice about which path that we're going on. And the beauty of this path is that the surprise is not just for you. The surprise is a gift for the entire world. That the unique things that God is trying to birth in you is a gift for everyone else who's coming next. I appreciate in this room that there are people who are alcoholics and their story and their gift is for the other alcoholic in this room. God had to birth a surprise in them that someone else along the road, down the way would say, only you understand my story. There are people in this room right, whose lives are marked by adultery and unfaithfulness and pain and broken families and Thanksgiving dinners that they want to never go to. And you have a surprise story to tell the world and other people who've gone through that same brokenness, right? There are people in this world, right, there's a, there's a few of us here uh, whose, whose siblings have passed away, whose family members have passed away, who have experienced tragedy and change and hurt that we would never want for anybody else. And there's a surprise birth within us, even in death, and even in that hurt, and even in all the tragedy that's there. And so the question for you is, what kind of surprise does God want to birth in you this Christmas season? You all have expectations. We all have expectations. But which path will you choose? And so we're going to finish this out before we answer our question by looking at Prince E. It is not death most people are afraid of. It is getting to the end of life only to realize that you never truly lived. There was a study done, a hospital study, on 100 elderly people facing death close to their last breath. They were asked to reflect about their life's biggest regret. Nearly all of them said they regretted not the things they did, but the things they didn't do, the risks they never took, the dreams they didn't pursue. I ask you, will your last words be, if only I hit, hey, you, wake up, why do you exist? Life is not meant to simply work, wait for the weekend and pay rent. No, no, I don't know much, but I know this. Every person on this earth has a gift. And I apologize to the black community, but I can no longer pretend. Martin Luther King, that man never had a dream. That dream had him. See, people don't choose dreams. Dreams choose them. So the question I'm getting to is do you have the courage to grab the dream that picked you, that befits you and grips you? Or will you let it get away and slip through? You know, I learned a fact about airplanes the other day. Now this was, this was so surprising, see? I was talking to a pilot and he told me that many of his passengers think planes are dangerous to fly in. But he said, actually, it is a lot more dangerous for a plane to stay on the ground. I said, what? Like, how does that sound? Well, he said, he said, because on the ground, the plane starts to rust, malfunction and wear much faster than it ever would if it was in the air. 
As I walked away, I thought, yeah, makes total sense because planes were built to live in the skies and every person was built to live out the dream they have inside. So it is perhaps the saddest loss to live a life on the ground without ever taking off. See, most of us are afraid of the thief that comes in the night to steal all of our things. But there is a thief in your mind who is after your dreams. His name is Doubt. If you see him, call the cops and keep him away from the kids. Cause he is wanted for murder, for he has killed more dreams than failure ever did. He wears many disguises and like a virus will leave you blinded, divided and turn you into a kinda. See, kinda is lethal. You know what kinda is, it's a lot of kinda people. You kinda want a career change, you kinda want to get straight A's, you kinda want to get in shape. Simple math, no numbers to crunch. If you kinda want something, then you will kinda get the results you want. What is your dream? What ignites that spark? You can't kinda want that. You gotta want it with every part of your whole heart. Will you struggle? Yeah, yeah, you will struggle, no way around it. You will fall many times, but who's counting? Just remember, there's no such thing as a smooth mountain. If you wanna make it to the top, then there are sharp ridges that must be stepped over. There will be times you get stressed and things you get depressed over, but let me tell you something. Steven Spielberg was rejected from film school three times. Three times, but he kept going. The television execs fired Oprah, said she wasn't fit for TV, but she kept going. Critics told Beyonce that she couldn't sing. She went through depression, but she kept going. Struggle and criticisms are prerequisites for greatness. That is the law of this universe and no one escapes it. Because pain is life, but you can choose what type. Either the pain on the road to success or the pain of being haunted with regret. You want my advice? Don't think twice. We have been given a gift that we call life, so don't blow it. You were not defined by your past. Instead, you were born anew in each moment. So own it now. Sometimes you gotta leap and grow your wings on the way down. You better get the shot off before the clock runs out, cause ain't no overtime in life, no do-over. And I know I sound like I'm preaching or speaking with force, but if you don't use your gift, then you sell not only yourself, but the whole world, short. So what invention do you have buried in your mind? What idea, what cure, what skill do you have inside to bring out to this universe? Uni meaning one, verse meaning song. You have a part to play in this song. So grab that microphone and be brave. Sing your heart out on life stage. You cannot go back and make a brand new beginning, but you can start now and make a brand new ending. So would you find your same groups and ask this question together? What surprise is God birthing in you this Christmas season? Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.